On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, Adele is going back to school to get her degree in English Lit. Nick Cannon is giving his kids really tough-to-live-up-to names. And actor Frankie Faison joins us. He's starring in The Rookie Feds on ABC and co-starring in the amazing new film, Till. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at stevemason.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinske. Great guest coming up for you, Frankie Faison, who is in both the movie Till and the series The Rookie Feds on ABC. Sue Baloo, how you doing? How you feeling? I'm good. I'm good. Um, Yeah, everything is... uh, Did I say it was good? Yeah, it is good. It is good. Yeah. (laughs) So I was curious about that. I know you've got something. I want to get to this. So Adele... Mm-hmm. has announced that she is going to go back to school. She is going to go get an English lit degree. Now, you know, she writes poetry, music, all that stuff. So I guess it, it does make sense. But if you were going to go back to school, first of all, would you ever go back to school? And if you did, what would you study? I, If I ever went back to school, I think I would study... I think I would study history because there was so much of it that I didn't absorb the first time around. <laughs> and I think that that would just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it would, it would be nice. It, it would be, I think it would be rewarding to have that knowledge. Yeah. I completely, I think history is a really great um, choice. I would study Spanish because I, so I took, two years of Spanish in high school, four semesters of Spanish at Bowling Green. Uh, I did Duolingo, Berlitz, one other one, and nothing has stuck. Nothing has stuck. And you know, Juan and I go, I mean, we, uh, we've been to Nicaragua and Costa Rica and El Salvador and Colombia. And I mean, we love Central and South America. Um, in fact, we're planning to go to Guatemala at, in December, Guatemala City. But I don't know why I haven't been able to absorb it. I get little bits and pieces, but to be fluent in Spanish is a lifetime dream of mine. I think what you need to do is come back in another life and be Spanish. <laughs> and be, and, and be, be someone who speaks fluently. Because yes. apparently it's not sticking. It's not. It's not. Sticking. What do you think going back is going to? Why is it going to be different this time? Because you're older? it'll be intense study. <laughs> an actual degree in Spanish. I don't even know if that is that a degree. I'm sure it's a degree. I made a language degree. I'm always I'm, blown away when people speak foreign languages. I'm like, yeah, I, I barely handle English. I'm just bare. I'm hanging by a thread with the English language. 
Okay. I don't know if I ever told you this, but years ago, um, when my nieces were very young, they were on a, um, they were on the Muni in San Francisco with my okay. sister. And there was a older woman, not older, but a mom, um, uh, yelling at her child or something. And, um, the kid was just like sitting there looking at, looking at the mother. And my niece said, Oh God, that woman is really mean. And her poor kid, he doesn't even understand Spanish or something like that. Just because he wasn't, he wasn't like reacting like, Oh, wasn't they reacting. Thought that, they thought that she was yelling at him. In a and, foreign language. In a foreign language. <laughs> and he didn't understand it. <laughs> so, anyway. So, you've got, what, what do you have? You told me, I've got something. I've well, got well something. no. So, I, I mean, I don't know if you've been following this, but, you know, Nick Cannon, he's on this mission to have, like, a million children. Yes, he is. Right. So, uh, it was just announced, uh, I think it was last week, that he's going to be having a kid with somebody else. So, that to me, that's not the story. The story is, I don't know if you're aware of the names of his children. No. Okay. So, uh, his first kids or a set of twins that he had with Mariah Carey. And so the first kid's name was Monroe, which very cool. Yeah, I like that name. Great name. Great name. And then the other twin um, was Moroccan. So I was starting to see. All right. Cool name. Weird name. Okay. Yeah, I, I see okay. that. Border, borderline weird. Then he has uh, another kid uh, many years later. And his son's name is Golden Sagan. Sagan? Golden Sagan, which oh. to me sounds like a Thai restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know whether he was thinking of what the name should be. And it's kind of like the usual. And he drove by a Thai restaurant. He drove by a Thai restaurant and went, that's what I'm going to name my boy. Okay. So then after that. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> He has a daughter and names her Powerful Queen. Okay. All right. All right. A lot of pressure there being Powerful Queen. <laughs> yes, you know, is. hopefully she can live up to it. <laughs> and then he has a son a couple of years later named Rise Messiah. Oh, man. Okay. These are really tough. I mean, Rise Messiah is an impossible name to live up to. Crazy! What kind of pressure are you putting on these children? Okay, then, then he has a kid with. Uh, oh, he has a, another set of, of twins. Okay, one of them is named Zion Mixel Mix Mix Mixeldean or something like that. Which I don't know Mixeldean, which to me sounds like a hair loss supplement. <laughs> okay, it's like minoxin. Then the other twin. Is Zillion Air. Zillion nice. Air. Zillion Air. Okay, so how much shit is she going to get when she doesn't pick up the check? It's like, come on, you're a Zillion Air. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> okay, it doesn't stop. Oh, then really? Has, it keeps going. It keeps going. Then he has a daughter named um, Zila, which, okay. Uh, okay. He kind of finds his way back to being somewhat normal <laughs> yes. in name in his name calling in his name naming. Then he has a kid called Legendary. Legendary. <laughs> Legendary. And uh, it's like this kid better be good at something because <laughs> I that could quickly become Legendary Loser. 
<laughs> and then the last daughter, her name is Onyx Ice. Onyx Ice. Well, I mean, Onyx, I guess, by itself is a good name. But then when you put the ice there, it sounds like a celebrity-endorsed cologne. (laughs) (laughs) The Onyx Ice. The Onyx Ice. (laughs) So that is the history of the names that he has uh, named his children. Well, and uh, more to come. (laughs) That's right. He's got one more on the way. Does he have one more on the way? I don't know what he's doing. He's like Johnny Appleseed out there. Kid after kid after kid. All right. Our uh, guest today is a star of stage, television, and film. He was nominated for a Tony for the original Broadway production of Fences. He appeared alongside Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs and Red Dragon and Hannibal. And on television, he starred as Police Commissioner Burrell in the legendary HBO series The Wire. He's got two projects right now. He stars in the ABC hit The Rookie Feds, and he's also co-starring in Till, one of the very best movies of 2022. Frankie Faison is here. Frankie, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. You have got such an amazing career. There's so much I want to ask you about. Uh, But Sue and I both had a chance to watch Till over the weekend. And what what a moving, emotional experience that is Uh, for people that don't know the story. Could you could you tell the story of, of Emmett Till and who he is in history? Well, in a nutshell, it's a um it's it's a situation that happened down in Mississippi in nineteen fifty-five that sort of really gave a really jump start again to the civil rights movement as far as I'm concerned. This another incident where a black person is um is brutalized, you know, by whites down in the South and for nothing. This was the thing that made this thing special. It was a 14-year-old boy, mm. and he was accused of whistling or saying something wrong to a white woman or just, you know, even looking at her or speaking to her, which in back in those days, you look down. You don't look at white people in eye to eye. So anyway, that happened, and then the guy, the husband and the brother-in-law came grabbed him from his uncle's home and commenced to brutalizing him just uh, for about a day and a half and then ended up killing him and then ended up taking him and throwing him into the river and thinking they had weighed him down with some dumb kind of wheel or something. And he rose up and he was found and discovered. And that's when all the stuff really began because the mother living in Chicago, Mamie Till. And this story, there are two parts of this story. One is about the, um, the desecration to Emmett Till's body and murder and all of that of him. And the other is about, and which is this film really focuses more on is the courageousness of Mamie Till, his mother and the community behind them, including the grandfather, which I play, uh, John Carthen, the grandfather to um, Emmett Till and Mamie's, husband, uh, Mamie's father. But this is the story here. She said that I'm going to show with an open casket what these people had done to my son because the world needed to see it. And let me tell you, back then, that was like a very courageous and and bold thing for her to do. Not only did she do that, insist on him being shown the body, you know, for what exactly the way it was. She went down south to take part in the prosecution of these two men, which was very dangerous. I mean, she could have died 
many times over. But she went down there and she tried. And these things, her courageousness, this is what this film is about. So if you're looking for the blood and gore and, and the brutality, really the essence of that, of what they did to him, you don't need to see that. You know that. You hear it. You've heard the stories. You've seen it happen too many times before. But this is about the courageousness of the mother, the community, the family. So um, I just think that it's a, it's it's an uplifting film and a film that should be seen because this part of history has been swept under the carpet for far too many years. I've asked many people from 8 to 80 of all races if they had heard of Emmett Till, and so many of them said no. And I'm mm. just like, I... I buried my head in shame sometimes because, you know, you see um, members of the black community, especially because this is our history. I mean, we always have uh, Black History Week, Black History Month, and this should be covered in detail. Very, And it's a very important film, and I just hope that the right people, you know, get to see it. So I want to ask you, you know, as a black actor, um, how how did... How, how did it affect you being in this film? Um, first of all, I'm just going to give you a little correction. Um, I don't ever see myself as a black actor. Well, no, no, myself, I, no, no, let, no, no, no. Let, let, let me, let me, let me correct let me, myself. Me, Can I correct myself? No, as no, a, but I, as, as a black man? No, a, not even that. Okay, okay. I, when we're talking about the arts, I see myself as an, as an actor who is black because okay. I always put the artistry first. And that's the only way that I can survive in this world. But sure. your question, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking you on the question. And that's, I get that totally, but I'm just saying. But for me, 1955, I was six years old. I didn't, you know, I, it sort of trickled down to me. I didn't get the impact of it until I got maybe in high school, got older. And then they showed during Black History Month, they would say, oh, Emmett Till got killed. And they would maybe bring up the pictures in Jet Magazine and Ebony and Look Mag, you know. But to me, it's, um, it goes beyond color. But mm-hmm. of course, color is very significant. But to me, it just, this is universal. If this had happened to your child or, 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 or a Jewish child or, or, or an Italian child, any child that's subjected to this kind of brutality is a, is a crime. It's a major crime. And as a black man to witness that, because we've witnessed so many things, so many incidents, you know, of black brutality, you know, just in the last five, 10 years, you know, that is up, is on the rise. So as a black person, as a black man, as a black actor, it uh, it 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 brought out a lot of feelings that were that were sort of pushed behind because you, these things, these this kind of overt racism, it sneaks up on you. You're not ready for it because you think you're living in a world that's supposedly a little different, a little changed, but it's not. So when these things come up, as a black man, I I feel like I feel like. I have a sense of responsibility to help to move the ball forward, to do anything that I can to make sure that these things won't happen again, if that answers your question. It does. And the reason why I brought it up is because years ago, I went to Prague and I went to uh, a concentration camp. I'm Jewish. Right. And I remember walking through this town and thinking to myself, you know, not that long ago, I couldn't freely do this. Right. And I was with my husband, who's not Jewish. 
Okay. And and being Jewish and being there, I mean, look, anybody who would go to a concentration camp, I don't care what color or you know what religion they are, would be horrified. Absolutely. But for me, it had an added element because I'm Jewish. And it was you. And, your, and, and it was me. Yeah. Yes. So like that, that, that's, that's why I brought it of up. Of course. And yeah. there's been so many instances of it. You know, if I allowed that to contaminate me, to change me, I wouldn't be the person that I am now. And I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do now. I mean, the world is a, it's a very strange place, but there's racism in, 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 in our society in every form. You look at it, you know, the Holocaust, the Jewish, terrible things that happened there. You look at blacks, you look at the Italians, you look at the Polish, you can look, you look at the Ukraine, what's going on there. Now, I mean, everywhere you look, the instances of cruelty. And I'm just like, I'm a very, open universal person. I love all people. I love I, I and, and whenever racism rears its ugly head in any form whatsoever, it just it it just punctures my heart. I just, you know, I sometimes I think I'm not I'm not for this world because of those facts. But wherever I get a chance to expose that kind of racism and doing it in a film like Till and I've done, you know, many other things that are, that have um, that have demonstrated this. I was in the original production of Mississippi Burning, you know, which is, you know, showcasing the boys who went down south and they were killed. And, and you know, just and I did a film called The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain, which just showcased current something that happened 10 years ago in White Plains, New York. And these things. I tell you, they beat me up so much sometimes that I just need to go out and do something else, something light or something different, you know, something just just entertaining to bring, you know, to, to bring a smile on people's faces. So that's why um that's why I do do some of this crazy films I do sometimes. So Frankie, I was not familiar with uh Danielle Deadweiler before seeing this movie. She plays uh Mamie and she is just what what an amazing per- i mean there there may be an oscar with her name engraved on it right now and a lot of your scenes are with her what what's it like having her as a scene partner well all of my scenes in this thing are with her and and i came in late because i was like i I didn't know if I could do this film after having done the Kenneth Chamberlain film because that took so much out of me but they were insisting on me coming in and joining the team and doing it. And I had finally said yes. But from the very first moment that I walked onto that set and met Danielle, there was a connection that I'm saying, first of all, she's an amazing artist because I got to see her work, you know, uh, a little bit before I met her, but, you know, doing, doing a scene. I say she is a brilliant, amazing artist. She's a brilliant, amazing daughter. The chemistry between us was just electric. I mean, we just, it was like we were truly family. And there was not a sense of, you know, on the set, there's not a sense of, you know, everybody holding the head down, falling into that rabbit hole, you know, about what it, there was a sense of joy and family and connection and support. So, and you're right. I mean, there should certainly be an Academy Award with her name on it. It And, and you know, if it does, it, if it is, yes, and if it isn't, it doesn't matter. Because I think that to me, 
the reward you get for your artistry is when people like yourself, you see that and you're so moved that you want to talk about it. You want to mention it. And so, you know, the, the, you know, the parade of, of awards is just a parade of awards. It's just, I think that to me, it's so meaningful when people just come up to me and say, wow, you know, Danielle is, she's a brilliant, amazing, amazing actress. And she did, she, this, this role came to her and she took it head on and she's, she delivers and she helped me. And hopefully I helped her because we were, uh, we were a father and daughter. And I'm, those issues of father and daughter are very important to me. I have three daughters. And so, I mean, that's always um, a privilege for me to be able to, to to do something artistically with that in mind. You know, it always stands out to me uh, when I, about a great actor is what I see when the camera is on you, but you don't have any lines, <laughs> yeah. you know? Because, yeah. um, and, and, and you are a really, really great actor. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and, and, and there were, there were scenes where, um, where I just, I'm just watching you and your expressions. And it's like, there were a couple of times and it, and what, what I loved about it, because it was so real and natural where it looked like you were going to say something and then you didn't. Mm, yeah. And in, and, and in, in, in life. You know, you're, you know, people are talking and you're talking and, and then you don't. Yeah. And you did that, um, a, a few times during the film. And, um, I just marvel at it. Well, it was easy for me in that, in the regard of, first of all, I take a great deal of pride in, you know, in being the best actor that I can possibly be. And your acting does not, you don't have to have, you know, all the dialogue, all the this and that to be effective in a, in a piece. You need to be there. Your presence is what is important. And for, and, and I've always tried to demonstrate that in my work, but in this in particular, because like, I'm, you know, I don't say very much in this film, but I mean, I feel like I'm there 100%. And I, I tell you, it was very refreshing for me to see it because when I work, I don't have any idea what the hell I'm doing because if I'm watching myself, then I'm not serving the character in the production. So when I went back and I saw the film and people have made this remark like you've made and I've heard it and I've looked and I observed, I said, yeah, I mean, you really, Frankie, you did a great job of staying in that film because you never know when the film, when the camera is going to be on you and you never know what they're going to keep or cut. But if you are there and you're present and you're, you're doing your thing, your silence is, it speaks in volume. So I, um, I, I, I could not ask for a better, better love or response from anyone than that. And I thank you for it very much. Mm. <laughs> so in addition to this movie, you are also doing, it's, it's like, and now for something completely different. Uh, you are one of the stars of the Rookie Feds uh, on ABC, which uh, Nisi Nash. I don't know if there's a, mo a more delightful person on, and I don't. I'm not somebody that uses the word delightful, but no. I don't know if there's a more delightful person on television than than uh, Nisi Nash is. Right? She's amazing. She her energy. You know, she's another one of my daughters. She's in my daughter collection. There she is. <laughs> uh, now you. This now I have to tell you. This, in my life, in my career, you know, which spans over 50 years, every character that I play 
there's a connect somewhere to each one. It's like knitting something, you know, there's a, there's a thread, there's something there. And for this character in the rookie feds, it was, I'm not a big television person per se, but I'll do it, you know, because I got to pay bills, et cetera. But for me, the character that I play in this is Cuddy Clark, the father who was, who was incarcerated for a crime that he did not commit. So this falls right in my wheelhouse of going out trying to talk about police reform, trying to talk about educating police. And so this is like, man, I get to do it. And plus I get to do it with the brilliant Nisi Nice, you know, let her take on all the, all the other stuff. But she's taking on issues too, you mm-hmm. know, black women in the FBI, you know, and, um, you know, trying to raise those numbers and, and approaching the FBI in a different, more creative way. Those things, all of this stuff, and it's all connected, and it's all, and it's all, it, it, it's amazing. This was a great place for me to land because I, um, anywhere, I, now I don't, because I don't believe in defunding the police. I don't want to do that because we need law enforcement. I've worked so many, I've played so many law enforcement officers. I've met so many amazing law enforcement officers. I want to educate them so that these so when there's confrontation between them and the community, when they happen, the people know what to do and you need to know from both sides. So doing the, doing the rookie, I get to laugh a little bit and play a little bit and also get that message across. So I fell into a great place here. So you have this um, kind of fun relationship with her. She's living with you. Yeah. And uh, she's a handful. <laughs> She's uh <laughs> Nisi is like five handfuls. <laughs> the, the thing about right. it is I you know, throughout my career, <clears throat> I've been I've been partnered up with some crazy people like um like, you know, uh, um Eddie Murphy and coming to America, Chris Rock and Down to Earth, the Wayan brothers and white chicks. I mean, I'm like I'm like Okay, maybe they see something in me that sort of balances out the craziness and the other folks, you know, but the only thing that I think that is that it is is that I bring a sense of artistry that's been that I've worked on for years and years and years. I come from the theater background. I'm an ensemble player. I don't need to have the I don't need to have the top billing. I don't need to have the limelight. I don't need to be in the first position. I'm going to be there for the actors because I'm an actor who wants to work with good actors. And when you bring it and they bring it, something magical happens. And Nisi is like her energy is like it's incredible. I've never had it's just like with Danielle. When I met Nisi, it was instantaneous. It was just like there it is, you know. I'm the dad, you're the daughter. You, you know, you're going to be going this way, you're going to be, and I'm going to be going that way. And uh, rumor has it that she uh, had seen me do this, uh, this uh, film I did, short film called The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. And she had, um, when she saw it, she said, That's the guy. That's who I want to be my daddy in, in the rookie feds. Wow. So, uh, oh, wow. That's, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome. So, so go ahead, Sue. So I just want to get back to to your relationship with Nisi Nash. And I, so when you, and and maybe this is something you do with all of your characters, but I wanted to know like the process. So here you are, your your father and daughter. Like between you and Nisi, do you talk about like what your backstory is? Like, do you come up with stuff like just to kind of color um, the history of of your relationship? Is that stuff that you do? Of course, a lot of it comes out of the creativity. When you have two artists who are really 
just think along the same lines as, as far as the creativity is concerned. It's, it's there in the writing, but there are a lot of things that happen on the set between Nisi and I is there because of who Nisi is and because of who Frankie Faison, you know, who he is. And so a lot of times we do, we look for little personal things because we need to establish and let the audience know that they are real, you know, this is my daughter. I'm her father. They got little daughter-father things. We look for them. And Nisi has a family. She has kids. And, and, and I have a family and grandkids and all that stuff. So it's easy to access. We say, let's try this little thing. One thing we do is we do a thing with gesture to the heart. And that came out of working one day where they, they say, give a hug or give a kiss. We said, no, we need to have something that significantly, significantly signifies who we are. And to us, is this. And whenever we go to the heart, that heart gesture, it means that maybe there was an argument, came around, you know, on the good side of it, or maybe there's a problem that's still going on, but we still love each other. And this, I, you know, these kinds of little intricate kind of little things, character things, I learned from the great Lord Richards, who was an actor, my acting coach back at NYU. I mean, he, he directed the original Raisin in the Sun, and he was a brilliant, brilliant director. And he gave me little tidbits, but I learned from so many great, great, and I want to give respect and props to them. People like Lord Richards and people, and people like Joseph Papp from the uh, New York Shakespeare Festival, who are no longer here. The people that I've worked with who've given me little bits and people like Harold Guskin, who is my from premier acting teacher. He's not here no longer. You may or may not know of him, but he was brilliant. And, but people like that, they've given me so many little tidbits of things that I can use and uh, and share with other people. And Nisi is very receptive, and she brings along her own stuff. She's got a she's got a family. Plus, Nisi, I mean, she's all over the place. She's doing so much stuff. She, her energy is like I'm like, okay, Nisi, you got that. And I'm you know, <laughs> like I'm like I'm saying I'm the I'm an old man. You carry it, girl. You do what you need to do, but just know that whenever you need me, I am there for you. I make granola, by the way. My main thing is I'm a granola maker. My granola is like incredible. And you guys send me your, you send me your address. Yep. And I will send you guys a bag, a bag of my granola. I make it, um, all the time. It is incredible. I give it to people that I care about, that I have exchanges mm. with, but Nisi. <clears throat> She gets a bag every episode. Every episode, <laughs> she gets a um, she gets a fresh bag of the granola, and it, it it's um. I'll show you. Look, it looks like this. Okay. <laughs> Frankie's uh, getting his granola. I'm crazy. I'm lost. But it looks like this. You don't see it, but here you see it. It's, oh wow! Uh, yeah. This, this is my little face there, and, and I write different things on. This is for the rookie feds, and Cuddy is my character. But she gets one every every episode, and she's like a little she's like a little puppy waiting for their treat. You know, I go in for we get to do a new episode. She's like, mm -hmm. and like but I give it to her, you know. But I give it to all the cast members and all the you know people on the production team because I just I love making it and I like sharing that gift. And you guys, I mean it. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm oh, definitely oh, taking oh, you up you're, on this. You're right? getting you're getting you our get address. information to me, and I promise you, you will receive in the mail a little. Uh, it's gluten free, nut free, 
amazing, brilliant stuff. If I say so myself, we, we will absolutely look forward <laughs> to trying it. I'm a bit. I love a good bowl of granola, man. Love. Uh, a good well, bowl. I'm, I'm I'm flattered that we passed the granola test. Oh here. yeah, you guys, you guys, you happen to be in the right place at the right time. <laughs> So, so you mentioned working with Danielle. You, uh, we talked about working with Nisi Nash. I, you know, I'm a huge Anthony Hopkins fan. Whoa. And you were there for sort of the Silence of the Lambs and Red Dragon and Hannibal ultimately. But when you first in Silence of the Lambs, because I read the book, I read the Thomas Harris novel, mm-hmm. and I couldn't have imagined Hannibal Lecter. Um, any way other than the way Anthony Hopkins did it. You were there sort of for the creation of that character. What were you thinking while that was going on? All right. That's a good story. When you get old, you got a lot of stories, and you may as well just tell them before you're gone. (laughs) That's why we wanted you on, Frank. I'm not going to write a book, I don't think. But anyway, with um, Anthony Hopkins, I did the original uh, Manhunter which was the first right. series. Now, I played a different role in that, but I did it. And the great uh, English actor, uh, Brian Cox. Of course. Mm-hmm. Now, Brian is he's like, he's a burly brute of a guy, you know? And he yep. was like, I mean, his lector, but he's also, you know, his way with words. And I, he was brilliant. I said, and I could not imagine anyone being Hannibal Hannibal, I mean, playing the Lecter role, which Lecter, I'm getting my people confused. But anyway, I couldn't imagine anybody doing that role but him. And then when I went in an audition and I found out that Anthony Hopkins, who I love and have always respected and honored, I just did not see it. I did not see him doing the stuff. I'm saying not impossible. And But when he did it, the way he did it, you never had an ounce of doubt in your mind that this man is capable of doing those things. I mean, he was just absolutely brilliant. I mean, his Academy Award speaks for itself, but beyond the Academy Award, working with him there every moment. And like I say, <clears throat> I'm never intimidated by anyone because I bring my my work ethic with me. I've worked, I mean, I've trained and prepared. I worked a long time and I think that I can, you know, I'll meet you there as an artist. And he met me and I met him there and working with him and Jody Foster, it was like, my God, what a joy it was. And then to get to go on and do it again with him in later episodes, I, I feel very blessed, but he, he, I understand what you're saying now, Steve, by, by saying that you couldn't imagine anyone other than him being that guy. And I, and I agree 100% because he brought such, such, delicate intricate that's what it was it was delicate it was precision there was a i mean there's just something there that i've not seen before and it was deadly and brutal i mean it's like you know i mean it's like it's they say to barney they say how did you survive him and and i tell them i mean you know in in the in, in 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 hannibal later i say because i respected him but I was all, I was very respectful of him as a person, but I was always on God against who he was as a human being, mm, you know, yeah. what he is capable of. And so he had no reason to come after me because I gave him no reason. But, um, yeah, he, 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 he lit up the screen with that. And, you know, it's like, it's one of those characters that would go down in the annuals of history as being one of the, one of those 
brilliant, brilliant characters. And yeah. I love him, Anthony. I love him. I love him as an actor. I love him in everything that he does. It's not, you know, he's like, to me, he's like a leading man character actor. He goes, he transforms, and, and he's been a role model for me because that's what I've always wanted to do the way I see myself. I wanted to be able to be transformative, to move from one thing to another, comedy to drama to tragedy, TV to film, blah, 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 bloom. So it's, uh, that's, that's, that's tremendous. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because it's much respect to Sir Anthony Howard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what's, what's he like, uh, off camera? It's funny, delightful. Cheerful. Now, when I met him first, uh, the first June Silence of the Lamb, he was just coming off of uh, his alcohol thing where, you know, he was, he had a big alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. So he was, you know, he was just, he was recovering. He was coming, you know, he was trying to withdraw, trying to become a better, and he did become that. And uh, so when I met him again later in Hannibal, you know, he was a little different, but still the same guy. I mean, he's very bright, very insightful. He's very generous, very giving. I mean, he's everything that uh, you could ask for in a co-star, you know. So let's talk about what I think is the greatest television show in the history of the world, which is The Wire. Ooh. Um, I I love The Wire. I've watched it probably three times from, from beginning to end. And yeah. uh, it does such an amazing job of capturing a very specific, I mean, it, it's very specific. It's about Baltimore and it's about the the characters. It's very character driven. Um, how did how did that role come to you? Was it an, an audition? Was it offered to you? How did how did that work with David Simon? Thank you. Good question. I I will tackle that gladly. Um, first of all, I went into audition for The Wire. And I auditioned uh, for Daniels, the role of Daniels, mm -hmm. the uh, young lieutenant. And because uh, I read this stuff and I read this material, I said, oh, my God, I got it. You know, I really put everything into that audition. And um, they chose to go with some Lance Riddick, who is brilliant in that, because I was a little older. And I guess they wanted someone a little younger, a little bit more. And so... Later on, they came to me and they said, well, but they want you to come in and they want to see you for the role of, um, of, um, uh, Commissioner oh, Burrell. Evan and Burrell. I had read the script. You know how actors are. They read the script. They look, blah, 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 blah. I had read the script and I said, who is this Burrell guy? I don't <laughs> see him in there that much. He got that much to do. I don't want to, you know, but I went in and I did it. And they said they offered me the role of Burrell. And of course I took it because I thought that this was going to be an amazing project to be involved in. Now, how I got it. The director and one of the uh, producers of this thing is a young, is a man named uh, Clark Johnson, who I had worked with back in the seventies when he was a gopher. He was a production assistant and I was the star of this television show called True Colors. Yeah. And I didn't remember Clark, but, you know, later on, he brought to my attention. He said, Frankie, you, one of the reasons you're here is because during that time of True Colors, when you were the star and there were a lot of egos all over the place, you were so kind to me 
You talked to me, you respected me, you treated me like a human being rather than just that gopher, go-getter person. And I have always had so much respect and admiration for you that when I got a chance to cast you in this, it was a no-brainer. Wow. To me, that shows that, you know, you don't do things so you can get things. You do things because they are the right things to do. And I mean, I try to treat everybody. And I learned that from the great, I learned, got a lesson in that from the great uh, director, Jonathan Demi in Silence of the Lambs too, because Jonathan would take off his coat and throw it on an extra's back if they were out there in the cold, you know, and it was, and no one had attended to them. So you treat people the way that you, with dignity and respect. Yeah. If something comes about, comes about because of that, good. If it doesn't, good. But for each thing, in my life, pretty much for all the good things that have happened to me, they've come out of kindness that I've, you know, is because they could have been one way or another because I could have been an asshole. I could have been a jerk. I could have been, and then we say, well, why, why do I want to work with that person? But no, you do, you do things and then things turn out right. And the wire was just to me, the way it just blew up and became such a masterful piece. And even in The Wire, you know, for me, you know, I just I just thought that each of those characters are just, I took it so personal when I'm walking down the street during the first, second, third season, and the people are saying, Morrell is a horrible person. How can you be so terrible? And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute. He's a family man. He's a, see, because the way I played him, the way I saw him, I saw him as a decent person who was caught between a rock and a hard place. I mean, you know, it's politics is right. what happened. Well, and, and Frankie, you know, part of it is that every character on the show <clears throat> is somehow compromised. They're compromised by the institutions they represent. And by the way, that goes for judges and lawyers and police officers <laughs> and uh, politician, everybody's compromised in some way. Everybody has had to make really tough decisions um, and uncomfortable decisions. And for me, that's what brings the story to life. Yeah, no, absolutely. It just, uh, it, you know, you, you to show how, I know this was a situation that happened in Baltimore, but this is a situation with law enforcement and politics that happens all over the country, everywhere. And I live in New Jersey, and I live in uh, very close to Newark. And the episode, the scene in which they were doing when the when the police when the uh, funding was down and the policemen had to take cabs to to do crime investigations and stuff, I looked at the Newark. You know, I drove down there and looked mm. at there. They looked at the police cars in Newark. They were just like beat up run down, knock down because they didn't have the money, you know, to get. But in the town that I lived in, Montclair, New Jersey, very affluent, a lot of money. These cars were pristine, beautiful, new cars running around, you know, and I'm saying, okay, that's a throwback to, to that experience in the wire. So all these things, even though they were happening in Baltimore, they will be happening in Minnesota, then Detroit, Chicago, you name the place, they have the same problems. And I love the way that, uh, that, that we tackled them on the wire. It made it such a universal show and it made it so accessible to people. Yeah. They needed to see it. It's, it's one of it. For me, it's the greatest show of all time. Greatest show of all time. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. I mean, Baltimore, you know, tough. Uh, it, it, it was tough during that time of year. And I, I remember, I, I'm, I'm almost positive it was the corner, that series, the corner where, um, 
life imitated art. Uh, they were shooting a scene and a crime actually broke out <laughs> right down the street from where they were shooting. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, if you're shooting in Baltimore, in Baltimore, it can happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. I was, I was so happy to be able to be that character who, who's most of my stuff took place in my office. I'm the hierarchy. You know, I, I wasn't down there in the streets and I was like, at that point in my life and career, I was, I, you know, I didn't need to be down there running around doing, being a foot soldier per se. But it, there, I mean, Baltimore is like, it's, you could have a crime happening anytime, anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, listen, it is, uh, it's really great to get you on the show. Frankie, uh, really an amazing career. Uh, rookie, uh, the Rookie Feds is on ABC till one of the very best movies of the year out in theaters now. Uh, watch for it all through award season. I know it's going to do really, really well. It's amazing. Thank you so much. I can't wait for uh, for the uh, the famous granola man. I'm I'm psyched. Send me your info. Your your where I can mail it to, and I will mail it to you. I got a fresh batch. That I just made yesterday. Ah, oh, that is, there it is right there. I, I just want you to know you're the first guest where we actually are getting swag. So oh, I really yeah. appreciate it. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> I want to hear back from you if you liked it or not. You, you bet. You bet. <laughs> you know. hey, hey, Frankie, thanks, man. Thank you, guys. You're great. I really appreciate the talk this morning. Hey, a party favor. Granola from Frankie Faison. How about that, huh? The first. You know, I think it should be a new rule. If you come on to the show, you bring on a guest, a, a, a gift for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it would be very easy for us to just kind of look up what people actually do outside of acting that could benefit us. Yeah, we will uh, make that part of our Sam, who works with us on uh, booking guests. We'll make sure Sam lets the uh, potential guests know that that's the way we roll. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. Please leave us a rating and a review. Sue, we will see you next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. Culture Pop.